Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. All right, everybody, welcome back. And it's Matt and Eric here with Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. I hope that everybody has had a wonderful week and we're going to be diving into an awesome subject matter. I know this is on a lot of people's minds right now and this is this is kind of hot in the internet community right now. We're going to talk about homesteading in a very uncertain world. I mean, the, the world is a scary place, Matt. There's a lot of things going on and there's a lot of uncertainty about the future and a lot of people have great concern about the future of their fortunes, the future of their property, the future of their rights, the I mean, the future is a scary place, and we're going to kind of discuss this uh, in the context of that and talk a little bit about homesteading, and um, there's a lot of interesting things that we're going to talk about in today's podcast. And before we get too far down the rabbit hole, I would just like to mention, uh, if you want to support our podcast and support our YouTube channel, go over to Ballistic Inc. and pick yourself up an awesome new t-shirt. That's a way that you can directly support us if you wish to do so. Uh, Matt and Lisa are doing a great job with our t-shirts. They're amazing. The designs are awesome. Thank you. Um, you know, made with pride right here and, you know, check them out. Go over to Ballistic Inc. and get a t-shirt. And that's one way you can support our efforts here on life, liberty and the pursuit. How have things been going? Dude, they've been going great. And I know that it's been hard for us to kind of link up and get in here and do these podcasts. And I'm, I'm glad that we're able to to sit down and have a great conversation. And this, the subject we're talking about today is, is one that, you know, some people are interested in and others kind of have a tendency to ignore it because, you know, America is so, it's, it's so, I want to say. Maybe divided. No, not divided. It's so compounded. Thank you. At least you help with the, with getting that. <laughs> it's so compounded, uh, because everything's built up on cities. So people have a tendency to forget about what's going to happen if you can't go to the store and get food and what happens, you know, if you can't get water, cause we're so used to just turning on the tap or hitting the little button on the refrigerator and having the water come out. So I'm excited to talk about today's subject and, you know, we're going to have a great conversation. Dude, we are totally going to have a great conversation. And so there's a couple of different mentalities, right? And, and we'll just briefly describe the mentalities of the prepping community and, and, and everything. One mentality is bug in, and one mentality is bug out. Now, I'm sure you can pretty much surmise what those two things entail. One means you're going to stay put, and the other means that you're going to pick up and go somewhere else. Now, just because you are engaged in, let's just say, the art of having a good homestead, okay, doesn't mean that you should not have a potential plan or or ability to leave in a hurry and have some good supplies on you uh, in that process if you need to. So I'm not saying that this is meant to just completely replace the idea of bugging out. Some people look at bugging out as an entire philosophy. Hey, society's going to collapse. Maybe you live in a really, really busy city and your only option is to bug out. Well, then obviously, yes, maybe some sort of a trailer and some supplies and the ability to leave quickly if you need to. Or maybe you live in a disaster area like a flood zone or somewhere where there might be a lot of hurricanes or bad weather or possibly tornadoes. You need to have the ability to get your family and your pets and your belongings and yourself to safety quickly. 
and you need to have a plan to execute instantly without thinking about it. You don't want to be rummaging around going, all right, where's this? Where's that? There's a plan. So this podcast, today's podcast, is not about bugging out, but I wanted to give a quick nod to bugging out because it is a functional thing that that people need to be prepared to do. So even if you do have a homestead, it's probably not a bad idea to still have a plan to leave because you never know. Things can change. Murphy's Law is a factor, and if it can happen, it probably will. So you may have the greatest you know, homestead in the world or the greatest bug-in plan in the world, but situation uh, can dictate that that can change, and you might need to you know, react to that. So it's just something to consider. Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of things change in the mindset on bugging in or bugging out, you know, based on uh, a few criteria. And I used to be a bug-out kind of guy. Um, you know, you had your go bag, you had your destination, you had everything set up. But what changed is once you have a family, once you have a wife or a husband or wife or a daughter or a son or multiple kids, that really makes it difficult because now you're not only just worried about yourself and grabbing supplies for you. Now you have to grab supplies for an entire family. Everything gets exponentially more difficult and dangerous. Now you're trying to pull security while you're driving for your family in a SHTF situation. So once, and this is just me personally, once I hit that that type of mentality and I had that family, it was I switched gears and said, you know what? It's going to go more for a bug-in type of strategy. Um, and then even that, it really depends on where you live at. So if you're living in, say, like downtown New York, yeah, bugging in probably isn't the best option. Everything is skyscrapers. There's you're taking into consideration there's no ventilation. It's going to be super hot. Everybody's still stacked on top of each other. There's no, you know, ag agriculture or ag anywhere. So a concrete I, jungle, if yes. you will. And I live in, you know, uh, the suburbs of Atlanta. So my neighborhood, even though we have uh, houses that are close by, it's we're not on top of each other. And we can secure the area pretty well. Um, and then I know you live out here a little bit more rural, Eric. Um, and, you know, Eric has extended me the gracious invitation to say, hey, if you need to bug out, you can come on down. That's and right. I have... Uh, accepted that invitation so if anything happens we're bringing the family and i and i think that that has to do with two things trust and a mutual understanding of work meaning i need people to help i trust you enough to help so you're invited good that's right so let's define what homesteading actually means look quite simply homesteading is simply defined as just anyone who seeks a lifestyle of self-sufficiency really easy right the modern homesteader is actually, you know, there's been a great movement in our society to be much more self-sufficient. And a lot of that self-sufficiency comes from a few distinctive areas. One area is that, you know, many people are very untrusting of the government and have become more untrusting of the government because of recent events. And look, this isn't a, a, a tinfoil hat moment. This is just reality, right? Like we're whether or not you believe the government has uh, malicious intentions, right, that's irrelevant. They have clearly proven through, you know, direct demonstration of, of their inability to deal with situations that, you know, they may not always have the answers, right? So whether you believe their conduct will be malicious or, you know, damaging, which I, I'm in the group of people that feel that they're very incompetent 
and and I think they're willfully incompetent, and I think that they will absolutely do anything they need to sustain their own narcissism and their own uh, tendencies to want to hold and gain and 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 achieve more and more power and influence. So, no matter what your reasoning is for wanting to be a person who wants to be a homesteader, um, here we are. We've arrived at the situation where okay, I want to be more self sufficient. Uh, what can I do? Now, there, there's a lot of different aspects of this. One is going to be pretty dependent on the amount of property that you have available. All right. Most homesteaders, you know, you want to try to have as much, you know, agricultural land as you can possibly get a hold of. So you could probably get away with 30 or 40 acres, even smaller. There are micro homesteads where people can have um, a very, very sustainable amount of food and goods and things that they need. Uh, that they can produce on a very, you know, minimal amount of land. Uh, there are homesteaders even in cities that might only have an acre or two, but because of, you know, the way that they do the terraces and the way that they plant their crops and rotate their crops, they can actually grow a lot of food, even on just a couple of acres of land. So you don't have to have a huge piece of land to still produce a lot of food for your family. Um, and it's crazy when you look at history, uh, you look at all of the various governments around the world, all the things that go on from a geopolitical standpoint all around the world, and you look at the way different countries handle uh, folks who produce their own food. I mean, yeah, there are parts of the world where they're going to come and take all of your crops. You know, you're producing uh, food for the government. And, you know, you've got this land, but you're going to farm it. You're basically just a modern-day slave, a modern-day sharecropper, if you will. And I worry that our very country that we know and love so much here, that it's turning into the same type of thing. I mean, look at, uh, without getting the tinfoil hat on, look at the CCP buying up all the farmland. Look at Bill Gates buying up all his farmland, speculating on farmland, pushing for uh, you to eat bugs and, and all of this random stuff. Yeah, man, that's not That's, that's no scary, right? So when you look at all of the, the, the consequences, the cause and effect of the things you see in, in your society, that's what leads people to think, okay, we're going to get into homesteading. So, you know, there are so many things that you can do on your own property um, to sustain yourself. I mean, obviously growing crops, keeping chickens. Uh, we've got beehives that we're going to be getting in this next year. So we've got nukes of bees. Uh, we're going to have egg laying chickens, irrigation, we're set up on wells. I mean, obviously, if you have a piece of property where you can run off of wells, that's always going to be great. If you've got a good deep board well with a good deep aquifer, good clean water, you don't have to rely on city water. Um, that's going to be a pretty important consideration. I mean, water is very essential to survival. If you can find a property with a good river on it or a creek or Stream. a good spring-fed pond, yeah. you're good. Yeah, and I think that, you know, you hit on a lot of good things and we're going to we're going to kind of go into a little bit more on the considerations, but I just wanted to mention that, you know, a lot of people think homesteading um they base their perception of homesteading off of what they see on YouTube and what they see on YouTube are like these huge swaths of land out uh, like out in the Midwest where you're like, "Oh, I got 200 acres to play with and that i mean yes it makes very good content and when you see it you're like this is i mean this is the dream to have that much acreage to have all this cool stuff so it's almost like they kind of get down on the dumps of like why can't i get that or that's what it's required to have a proper homestead but really it's not you can get away with you know 10 acre people underestimate how much 10 acres is 
I mean, if you think about it, a, a house in, in the suburbs of a metro city is usually about half an acre. So if you have 10 acres, it's 20 houses worth. So if you look at your house, imagine having enough land for 20 houses. That's a fairly large amount of land mm-hmm. um, for, for one person to occupy, at least. Um, and I mean, when you start getting more into the rural parts of the U.S., um, you can get huge swaths of land for not too much money. But I do think you nailed a good point. The land is worthless if you don't have water, which is the big thing with like New Mexico. You can go to New Mexico and you can get hundreds of acres for pennies on the dollar. There's not a drop of water in sight. You can't get, you cannot drill deep enough to get water. It's barren. So those are huge considerations to make. Infrastructure. You have to have water. You have to be able to bear food and sustain life, meaning not human life, but like animals, because that's where your proteins are going to come from, or at least some of your proteins. So there's a lot of different ways to skin this cat. And, you know, I, I know we only have an hour and this will probably wind up being, it will break some of these concepts uh, up into full episodes that will go into a heck of a lot more detail in the future. But to kind of hit on some of the high points, um, homesteading can be very affordable, but it can also be very expensive depending on which route you go. I mean, for instance, we got solar set up here on the property not too long ago. We went with SunPro. And, um, you know, we got 32 panels, which is the maximum amount allowed by law in the state that I live in. Now, I only have one battery, which only allows me to store about 10 or 11 kilowatt hours per day. So I'm really only producing on a decent day about 60, 65 percent of my own electricity. Uh, But to put that in perspective, that system costs over one hundred thousand dollars. So if you're savvy and you want to do the work yourself, Solar panels have never been more affordable, right? Batteries have never been more affordable. So there are certainly ways that if you are savvy enough to do it yourself, you can certainly save a boatload of money. Now, I'm not an electrical engineer. You know, I I don't know all the ins and outs of solar in terms of being able to handle everything on my own. So I opted to have a company handle it. But just know that there are lots of varying ways that you can handle power on your property. If you're going to have a homestead in a downgrid situation, you need to be able to produce your own power somehow. Um, There are various options for wind turbines, geothermal, solar. Um, Also, if you have a good running river on your property, they have, you know, uh, turbines that can run off water. Okay. Some people will set up like a dam and have the water rush down a pipe into a, a, a water turbine and actually generates a heck of a lot of power. So if you have running water on your property, that is probably something I would look at a little quicker than possibly solar. You'd be surprised what you could set up um, to have, you know, those pumps as that water is running those turbines, you're generating enough power probably to run pumps to pump the very water out of the creek to be able to have your water sufficiency there on your homestead. So a lot of people do what are called tiny houses. And if you go on YouTube and just look up the tiny house concept, that's how you can do it on a very limited budget. So you don't have to go all out like I did for my homestead. You can set up a tiny house, start out with a couple of panels, you know, store all the batteries under the floor, maybe start out with a shipping container. There's so many cool variants of shipping container houses that people have done. And you can buy a used shipping container, sometimes as cheap as like three or $4,000. And you can yep. insulate it, you know, 
put all the flooring in, and you'd be surprised how livable they can be with a very minimum amount of resources. Yeah, the shipping containers work well. You just have to be very careful if you can get like once used shipping containers though you can get those i would probably stay away from the ones that have really beat up and also you have to be very careful because i was looking into this at one point you don't know what those containers carried so sometimes they might be carrying chemicals or pesticides or other stuff that's coming out of you know other countries you have to go through a really strict cleaning process, which kind of ups the cost of it. So you can look at the the shipping container houses. You can also look, honestly, um, Home Depot and Lowe's sells like prefabbed. Like they're not shed. They, they're marketed as sheds. But I mean, when, you, when you're looking at a two-story shed with a loft and a front porch. For $15,000. Yeah, yeah, for fifteen grand. I mean, it, it, and I understand that fifteen grand is no small amount of money. But if you're if you're already having the idea to homestead, then you're going to have to make that investment. Yeah, you're going to have to plumb it. Yeah, you're going to have to insulate and drywall. When everything is said and done, you'll probably be into it for about 30 grand total. But you have 30 grand in a house, a cabin that you can put on your property um, and, and you can be comfortable in it. So one option Matt would be that, you know, say that you do live in a very busy place like a city or mm-hmm. a very busy suburb and you want to have the ability to have somewhere safe to go, almost like a safe house or, you know, maybe a property or, you know, some people will, will buy, you know, three or four acres of land uh, outside of the city. And then sure, you could put in some basic infrastructure. Maybe, you know, you don't want to go far down the rabbit hole of maybe you don't want to collect rainwater. You don't want to do solar. You maybe just want to have an on-the-grid setup. You could totally have your utilities ran, have your septic tank ran, put you a tiny house on it, maybe run a few solar panels, and then sort of build your homestead arrangement off of that tiny house concept and let it grow from there. Maybe purchase some extra land from a neighbor or go in with a family, perhaps. Maybe you've got a few of your friends. Two or three of you could get together, pool your money, put together a trust and maybe buy 10 or 15 acres of land or 20 acres of land together with multiple families. And then everyone can have a tiny house. You got a little safe place to go if you need to. And you have added benefit over time. Let's just say, all right, things are normal. Society springs right back to normal and things are just peachy and everything's good to go. Well, guess what? You've still got a beautiful place you can visit, ride four-wheelers, hang out, camp out, play with the dogs. Everyone can have a great time. And it's still a property that y'all can use for recreation, but that also doubles as a potential homestead in a disaster situation, a safe place that you can all go to together. So that's the way I like to approach homesteading. Now, I... Have I've built my homestead as a self-sustaining type of setup, but I am nowhere near anywhere close to being done with it. I have so much more work to do and so much <laughs> more money to spend, but I'm so excited uh, to get all of this set up and to have everything you know at my disposal and to be able to be self-sustaining on my property, which will end up being, by the time it's all said and done, I'll have about 30 acres here. You know, and I just wanted to mention that when you said that, you know, you only have enough for about 60% of your uh, power here at the house, you are not the average consumer. All right. You, you, what you, what powers 60% of your home is probably like a hundred percent of a normal person's home because we do a lot of stuff here. I mean, you have studios, you have everything. So guys, 
there's no slouch on the solar. That's a, that's a very, very good solar system. Well, I got. still need to buy some more batteries and everything. But so getting back to just the concept of holistic homesteading. So we, we talked a little bit about tiny houses briefly. And, and look, there are the, the cool thing about YouTube and about the Internet and about social media. There are so many awesome channels out there that do nothing but homesteading videos. There is so much awesome information you can learn just by searching for tiny houses, searching for homesteading. If you want to learn about beekeeping, you can search for beekeeping. If you want to learn about keeping chickens, there's chicken videos. (laughs) There is so much information here on YouTube. And what I have you know, been so fascinated about in these recent years. It's like YouTube has almost become like the university of, of, of a certain culture of people that have like rejected the norms of higher learning and, and they learn from their peers. I mean, I'm not suggesting that you should just, you know, take that as, as the only option, but it is an option that look, YouTube university is a thing. You can learn so many cool things on YouTube, right? So one thing that I want to be able to accomplish here, just a very short list of goals, and this is something you can keep in the back of your mind for your homestead as well. I've already got the solar taken care of because without power, you know, you got to have power. And that also takes care of my water situation because now I can run my wells off solar. I've got wells. So now I've got power and water handled. All right. Now it gets a little trickier. I've got to be able to irrigate crops. I've got to be able to grow food. I do have a half acre pond on my property. We're going to use that pond for irrigation. I'm going to have a series of pumps. So we're not anywhere near being at the level that we need to be at to take care of cro- uh, crops on the property directly. But my long-term goal is also to have multiple beehives. Uh, we're going with the flow hives nice. uh, out of Australia, which they are a very expensive option, but they are so nice. And they're, <laughs> the kits are amazing. They're super easy to assemble. And you can get your honey out of the hive without disturbing the bees. Yeah, that's the big thing. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. I think um, honey is a great, one of the best things you can put on your homestead because, one, it never goes bad. It's renewable because they're always producing it as long as the bees have, uh, you know, pollen to collect and produce that honey. Two, in a really bad situation, it makes a great bartering tool because, you know, it's something that never goes bad. It's a great commodity uh, if the time calls for it. It's something that's sweet. Um, people love it. It can be used to make alcohol if you're going to go the, the route with like mead. So it does have a lot of uses. And I'm, I'm a big proponent of honey because it has so many uses. Um, it is so healthy for you. And it's healthy. I mean, don't give it to infants. We, if you, if you ever kind of, if you know, have, you have kids. You know, um, but other than that, I mean, antiseptic, like you can do so much stuff with honey. Um, so that's a great choice. I yeah. mean, if, if I was going to do a homestead, I would definitely do honey, but you know, the golden rule of having a homestead is it's like, it's like, uh, the same rule as buying a boat. You don't have to buy the boat. You just have to know the guy that owns the boat. So I don't have to buy the homestead. I just have to know the guy that has the homestead. So that's yeah. the golden rule. And, and you can <laughs> and you can also pull your resources. So if you know that in a bad situation you and two or three families are going to pull the resources and, and and you know maybe share a piece of property to, you know, self-sustain, well then everybody can kind of contribute a bit Absolutely. here and there, right? You know? And there's nothing wrong with that. So like I want to do the flow hives and have honey on the property. Obviously, we're going to keep chickens. And the cool thing about chickens is they're super easy to take care of. You don't really have mm-hmm. to do a lot. They don't require a lot of care. Um, as long as they have, you know, decent water source and you keep predators from getting them, 
Uh, generally, they're going to be okay, and you can feed them all kind of table scraps. They'll eat all sorts of random things. So you're <laughs> never going to run out of, of ways to feed your chickens. Including each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and the same thing with hogs. You know, If you were to keep some hogs on your property, uh, you can totally feed hogs a myriad of random things, and they will totally eat whatever the heck you want to give them. So, Including people. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> now – a thing is to consider, right, with hogs, chickens, any type of livestock you're going to be feeding uh, your food to. A lot of people will ask, well, on a homestead, how do you deal with trash? Okay. You end up with, I mean, like Americans produce a crap ton of trash. I mean, there's, think about all the stuff you throw away. Next time you take a trash bag out of the trash bin, think about what you're actually throwing away. Just take a moment to sort of visualize, all right, what did I throw in this bag? And you'll realize that a lot of it, it's stuff that would probably be biodegradable if you want to put it in the compost bin. That's right. Some of it would be food scraps that animals could totally eat, right? You know, you should never let any bit of meat go go to waste. Your dogs can eat the meat, so you're not going to have meat going to waste. You're not going to have, you know, like, okay, you're going to cut up some carrots and you got the carrot tops. Guess what? Your freaking hogs can eat every scrap of random vegetable trimmings. You know, even if you peel an onion and it's onion peels, uh, anything, even the stems. I mean, all sorts of things. They will literally eat whatever the heck you put in their bin, and they're totally happy to have it. So you've got a natural garbage disposal on your property. If you've got hogs and chickens, um, you can set up Japanese beetle traps on your property, which Japanese beetles in my area are a huge problem. There's actually Japanese beetle traps that will catch the Japanese beetles alive. Hmm. You can take the Japanese beetles and pour them out, and the chickens will eat them. So that's free forage for the chickens, and you're getting rid of the Japanese beetles on your property, which are causing problems for your orchards, your trees, yeah. you know, all of your crops. Yeah, they will de definitely do some damage to your trees. And if you, I mean, I know that you have quite a few um, uh, pear trees on the property. They will definitely ruin those. And you know, on top of the chickens, they provide eggs, but they also, if you keep some roosters, they will also produce some viable proteins as well. And it's like this big, like, feedback loop of like, okay, they give me chickens, they give me eggs, you don't keep the rooster in there all the time, you just bring them in, they let them do their things and fertilize the eggs. Mm -hmm. Um you have the hogs, but you know, you do have to manage that hog population. Um, I mean, if you have, especially it, if you got a large area. Yeah. And cause I mean, then things get out of hand. They start eating all your, your veg and uh, all your agriculture oh, yeah. and everything. But you know, don't put hogs on your property if you don't intend to actually eat them or manage that because they will definitely ruin your entire property. If also, they, if they get out of hand. Hogs do not have sweat glands. So they actually have to regulate their body heat literally by rolling around in the mud. I'm, I'm sure you know how much pigs love mud and everything like that. So if you are going to have, let's just say, a fenced-in area on a piece of property, you've got to make sure they have access to like a creek basin. And look, it's going to get nasty. Oh, yeah. All right, they're going to rub that mud all over the trees. So anytime you see a fenced-in area with hogs in it, especially if there's trees and things, You'll notice just caked mud on all the trees where they'll get that mud on them and then they'll scratch themselves on all of the trees. So in a wild environment, if you're looking for hogs, that's how you find them in the wild too. You can see where they're rubbing on trees. You can see where they're rooting in the ground. So kind of keep that in mind. They're going to tear the ground up. Uh, they're going to make a mess. They're going to smell. 
And those are all things that you have to consider. The smell is pretty bad. Yeah. Not going to lie. So just keep that in mind. But it is a good bit of work to take care of livestock. But as as uh, Matt mentioned, it is a continuous feedback loop of preparation that if you if you go about it just the right way, you can have a steady source of chickens. You can have a steady uh, source of eggs, hogs, any type of livestock you might want. I'd like to mention also, so we're setting up a big greenhouse here on the property and we're going to have an aquaponics system and tilapia. Now, this this project is going to take some engineering and a little bit of, of know-how, but we're, I, I know we're up to the challenge. Uh, we're going to put a huge water tank in the middle of our um, greenhouse, okay? And we're going to keep um, probably, I think my goal is to keep about three or 400 tilapia on hand at all times. All right, you have to have three different tanks. You have the tank that your adult tilapia live in. You have a tank uh, that you put your pears in that you want to breed. And then you have a fry tank. All right, so once they have the babies, you put the fries in there and you nurse them to where they get big enough. And then you include them in. You cycle the adults out. Mm -hmm. You eat some of the other tilapia. But the way aquaponics works is the way aquaculture is. So in nature, right, there's an entire symbiosis that exists Okay, rainfall refreshes the, you know, rivers and lakes and streams and ponds and things like that. Uh, the fish, obviously, the water has to be reoxygenated through wind movement, through water movement, through refreshing, uh, through all of the various systems of rainfall and drain off, right? But then they produce waste, right? The fish poop in the water and it adds nitrates and all these things over the time can become toxic to the fish. But through the symbiosis of the way plants need what we're producing, right? So what you're doing is essentially with aquaponics, you're creating this this tiny little environment where the water is continuously pumped up to your crops that are in the greenhouse. And of course, those crops love all those, uh, I guess it'd be the nitrates that are in mm-hmm. the water that the fish in their excrement put in the water. But then they clean the water and that water gets pumped back in for the fish. So it's a, it, it's a symbiotic relationship between the fish and the plants. It's called aquaponics. And uh, so there's tons of things you can do with that technology. And if you do it correctly, you can have an endless supply. Listen to me, an endless supply of tilapia if you play your cards right. And in a greenhouse, you can keep them year round. They have to have water temperatures pretty warm or they'll get real lethargic and oftentimes die. So it, Tilapia may not be the fish of choice depending on your location, but where I am in the southeast, generally we have pretty temperate winters, and of course the greenhouse can be kept the proper temperature pretty much year-round, no problem. So that's pretty exciting to think that you could have a property with all the honey that you could eat, all the eggs, chicken, hogs, tilapia, all without having to even leave your property. And that, boys and girls, is the concept of homesteading in a nutshell in terms of your food, your sustainability. And that's in addition to all your crops you're growing, orchards, fruit trees, blueberries, all these things. And of course, all of your, your, your heartland crops, your corn, potatoes, you know, the, the real important, uh, vegetables, t- you know, tomatoes, corn, potatoes, whatever, whatever you want to grow there. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like, you know, you're creating your own little ecosystem. So it's like you have an ecosystem within the ecosystem. We're lucky here in Georgia that we do have pretty mild 
winters. I think we're in zone seven. So if you look at, you can look this up, but every state is in a specific zone and that zone will determine what will grow and what will not grow. Georgia zone seven, excuse me. And um, temperate. We, we have very mild temperatures here. The majority of, uh, plants and agriculture and stuff, vegetables and trees will grow in zone seven year round. Um, very few won't. And that usually are things that require, um, sun, 24 seven sun. You know, you touched on food and vegetables and crops and, you know, all this, uh, the things that, you know, everybody likes to, to think about. We need to talk about the things that nobody considers, which is, you know, security, help, um, medical stuff, like the things that kind of get put by the wayside because there's this, when people think homesteading, they think, oh, it's everything is good and the times are good and I'm just growing my, I have a farm and I'm growing my own stuff. Versus like, oh, we need to lock it up and we need to keep people out. You know, people are trying to get in and we need to keep them out. That's a very good point, Matt. You're right. I mean, as times get more desperate and people get a lot more hard up for resources, they're going to view your homestead as a potential target. You know, if if the world got bad enough, I mean, things would have to get pretty bad for people to go, all right, we're, we're going to go rob the farm, but you have to consider, I mean, if you have resources and you've prepared and someone else hasn't, um, the mentality of someone who isn't willing to prepare also gives them a predis- predisposition to kind of think, all right, well, I'm just going to take advantage of someone that I feel might be weaker than me. Because as much as we hate to admit this, like humans are very fallible and they're and, and, and intrinsically, I think most people want to do the right thing and, and want to be good people. However, there's always going to be the bad apples of society that um, make us regret that human that we know humanity exists other than ourselves. And, and and unfortunately, you're going to have to deal with some bad apples. And and of course, you know you may have to you may have to vibe check some people if they try to <laughs> to hurt you. You know, so obviously having a good supply of firearms, ammunition. And good training and knowing how to handle weapons properly is super important to protect what's yours. And that's intrinsically something that's probably just important anyway. Even if you're not a homesteader, even if you're not somebody who's going to bug out, or even maybe you don't even think like a survivalist and you're just a person going to the movies with your girlfriend minding your own business, you still need to have the ability to protect yourself at all times, no matter where you might be. Uh, and no matter what position you might be in in society, and no matter what your view of prepping might be, you might think that all these survivalist people are weirdos and crazy, but that still doesn't mean you shouldn't be armed and have the ability to protect yourself when you're out and about in your daily life. Yes. So we're talking security. We can start with like fences. Obviously, you want to have some fences around your your property. But I really think that, you know, you mentioned it earlier, is having having other families that you can count on. So like there's never been a situation that I thought that, you know, I would need to uh, bug out with my family and not take, you know, other friends or other family, like having other people that, that you can trust to have that, you know, you're on the same page because I tell you what, when that, when the situation comes or if the situation comes and someone's knocking at the front gate of your property and they're saying, Hey, can I come in? I want, I, you can trust me. I can help you, but can you really, 
do you, I, I tell you what, if I don't know you, I would never feel comfortable with my back to you. I would never feel comfortable being under a piece of equipment, working on that piece of equipment with you holding the flashlight because I don't know you and I don't know, like, I don't know what your intentions are. And it's just a scary world because like you said, inside you want, like your nature is to trust. Your nature is to think that people are good, but everything that we've experienced has shown that that is incorrect. Yeah. People have a tendency when they're desperate to do bad things to others. Yes. And, you know, we can't assume that every person we meet is going to be good or bad. But if I assume that every person I run into can mean me harm, then I'm never going to be caught off guard if they do. Mm -hmm. So security is important. I mean, obviously, gates and fences are, are great, but those measures can be, you know, gotten past pretty simple. There are a lot of early warning devices. You know, there's, there's these like little shotgun rounds that, that shoot a blank that you can, you know, stick on a, a trip wire for like early, early warning. I, I personally am more of a technological kind of person. I enjoy like security cameras. And that's something that I'm looking to do on my homestead is have a series of C, uh, CT close caption, you know, the CCTV cameras yep. <laughs> or whatever. Um, and, and everything like that. Now, those have the video signal and the power and everything all in, enclosed in like a coax wire. Okay, so that's the way that typically will work. So having like security systems, um, having cameras is always great, especially if you can send that, that TV feed to like an iPad and wherever you're at on the property or maybe if you're in your home, you're walking around and you can access that feed and kind of get an idea, have your eye in the sky and see what's going on. That can be a force multiplier if you have a small group, but you've got a lot of area to cover. Having some cameras is probably not a bad idea. And I know that there's people out there that would probably think, well, man, that sure is a paranoid way to look at the world. Like, how can you live with yourself thinking, you know, that people are out to get you? But here's the thing. Think about it like this. Go to any government building, any government building. What are you going to see? Cameras, security systems, metal detectors, armed guards, controlled access into parking lots, oftentimes with, you know, an electronic gate that you got to have a special code to get in. I mean, they do it. They're, and no one, no one bats an eye and thinks that the government's crazy for wanting to protect their installations to have armed guards at the gate of a military installation or to have camera feeds and security guards and all of this sort of stuff. No one bats an eye at that. So why should it be odd that the world I live in, that I want to secure, I want my family to be safe. I want my friends to be safe. I want whoever's going to be in that homestead with me to feel that they're secure, that they want to be there. It's okay for the government to do that. Why, why is it weird that I want to do that? I mean, ask yourself that question. If you think that people that do homesteading and prepping are weird or off or, oh, well, why would you need to do that? Don't you trust the government? Well, no. the government doesn't trust you because they obviously have cameras everywhere and security guards and all of this random stuff. And look, to be fair, I don't think they're weird for doing that. I mean, I would do that if I had a blank check with billions of dollars in tax revenue and I could just do whatever the heck I wanted. I'd probably want to have all the bells and whistles, too. That's right. So, so here's the question. Here's the question I pose to people that have that mentality, Eric, that said, what makes you think people aren't good or you don't trust people? My question is, do you lock your doors every night when you go to sleep? And if you do, why? So it's like, and, th and that's a question that if you, if you ask during a normal time when 
nobody actually wants what's in your house and you lock your doors. Imagine that when it's a bad situation and you have this harmonious ecosystem of fruit and vegetables and animals and eggs and protein and fish and power. And the grocery stores have and, nothing. Yeah. And the and, gas stations have nothing. And, and you want to ask me why I lock my doors now? Okay. That's so right. it's just, it's just people for some reason will, they, like I said, they have the innate, you know, thought to trust people and they really, like the common sense aspect goes out the window. He's like, no, you shouldn't. Totally. So now, um, I mean, I think we cover security pretty well. Yes. Yeah, so I now mean, we're like about- obviously perimeter security. You know, your physical security, having firearms. That mm-hmm. is something that, as a channel, like on my main channel, and us as a podcast, I'm sure I can speak for you when I say that we are super, super in tune with the Second Amendment. And to me, firearms are one of the most intrinsically important things that you could possibly ever add to your arsenal of tools to protect your family. So you're never going to hear any regrets from us about having a well-stocked arsenal of firearms, ammunition, gear. you got to have support gear. you got to have a way to carry your mags. And, and I guess, what do you want to segue, medical? Medic- yes, so I was going to yeah. say, you know, things that you, you should have. You know, just, you know, as normal items like normal things nothing crazy and you know what i will remember is when i was growing up and then i don't know if it was like a korean thing or or what but my mom would always have a container of penicillin like just literally like penicillin and a spoon so it's like whenever you get sick you're taking this penicillin now I understand now as an adult and 30 years later why that's not a good thing to do. Um, and it's the exact same uh, mentality of why you don't want to keep taking antibiotics all the time when you don't need to. It's because you know these uh, bugs become resistant to it. However, in those days, that was normal in the Korean culture. It was like, oh, you're getting sick. You take some penicillin. Boom, you're back to normal. You're good. And you just you take the penicillin until you get better. And, and yeah, eat some fermented foods. Yes. Drink some reishi tea and, and, and go on with and, life. And that was the thing. So I'm not ruling out that you shouldn't keep penicillin but on hand, but it does work. I right. mean That's a great segue. Yeah. Because the thing is, in a homestead environment, and let's just say we've we've reached the point of the crap hits the the rapidly spinning oscillator, okay, if you will. And you're not going to have access to medical. You, you know, you're not going to have the ability to just go to the hospital. I mean, everyone's going to be in, in a terrible situation, and the hospitals are going to be full of random people, and no telling what type of dangers might might lie in that as well. So if you do want to be self-sufficient on medical, now that's a huge rabbit hole to go down that we cannot possibly cover in the context of one podcast, especially with the remaining time we have. But it's just worth mentioning. I mean, if there are let's just say prescription medicines that you know you need, you probably want to work on trying to, you know, get a decent supply of that if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Skinny Medic really pushes for the fish mocks uh, to have on hand. That's antibiotics you can get. For, that's the fish mocks, amoxicillin, all right, which is good. Also, get some good books on ditch medicine. I know Brandy has a volume upstairs, and what ditch medicine deals with is how to deal with severe trauma in a very limited medical environment. Like you're literally on the side of the road in the ditch. That's the concept there. So look into some ditch medicine books. Also books that help identify 
plants in your local area, as well as mushrooms in your local area. That's super important as well, right? You want to make sure that you you might want to get a good hard volume of like the pill books. I know you've seen the big pill books. They're like this thick and it lists all the prescription pills. So if you ever find yourself, you know, you find some random medicine, you need to be able to identify that medicine. That's important. You may not have access to Google. You might not have access to be able to just pull up uh, and, and have the luxury of a, a quick internet search. So having hard volumes of treasured and important information is very hard. Get you a beekeeping book. Get you a chicken keeping book. Any type of volume of information that you might need to have on hand is a very important thing, right? And with medical, all the medical volumes you can have is important, all right? But that knowledge means nothing if you don't spend the time to train. Put yourself together a good blowout kit, Put together a far-reaching and far-encompassing medical program uh, that factors in everyone's needs. Maybe you got elderly people with special needs. Make sure their needs are met. Maybe children have certain allergies or special needs. Make sure their needs are met. All of these things. Hygiene, right? You know, maybe buy in bulk some soaps, uh, hand sanitizers, you know, those bulk comfort items that, yeah, can you live without shampoo? You probably can. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Sometimes it's nice to just feel clean. After a hard day out in the sun for 14 hours, you might just want to take a dang bath. Sometimes that does a lot to your morale. You know, that reminds me of like when I, I grew up in like super rural South Carolina. I'm talking about dirt road South Carolina. We didn't, our mailbox was like, it started with route 99, like <laughs> box three. All right. Like this is like, like it was really, really rural. And my grandmother's Korean. Um, you know, she used to make soap at home. Like she would literally like out of like lye or like whatever, like we would have these like jugs of soap and then they would like get hard and like we would use that. But like, those are the types of things like that would really come in handy with like homesteading. Cause like you, personal hygiene is a thing like you get infections and whatnot so you do need a an actual way to clean that bacteria off and and make soap so that's what that reminded me of is like we didn't just go to the store to make soap like we just we just made it people take for granted the little cuts and scrapes of life Mm -hmm. and they think ah no big deal i'll shrug it off yeah i mean if you get an infection a staph infection for instance uh you know it happened to my mother she was mowing the grass and cut her leg while she was mowing grass on a riding lawnmower and wound up with a staph infection. Ooh, yeah. Just from simply sitting on a lawnmower and just scratching her leg on something. I think it was like one of the stitches that came loose and it was like a piece of a staple sticking out and it scratched her leg. An innocent mm. little scratch you would think nothing of and it became a staph infection. So the little cuts and scrapes of life can be deadly if not properly treated. So don't take that for granted. You know, make sure you're getting lots of wound wash and having, you know, lots of ability to sterilize even the tiniest cuts and scrapes. Uh, can become bad if you don't have access to modern medical. Uh, you, you know what really scares me? I don't. I don't have this uh, issue personally, but my mom is uh, insulin dependent. So in these types of situations, like those are the types of things that kind of scare me because insulin has to be like kept at a certain temperature. If you're, a certain if, shelf yeah, life if, if you're going to store it. So like in these types of situations, when you have a lot of people that are insulin dependent or on like, they need specific medications or, you know, how do you, and this is my, this might be something that I need to, you know, ask a medical professional on that's into the, the homesteading aspect of it. 
Like, how would you do that? And maybe, you know, in the, if you know, like, and put it in the comment section, maybe you are a medical professional and you have some insight on that or, or you do it yourself. Like, how would you do that? Cause that, that would be a great uh, question for me to get the answer to. I'm not a medical professional. Mm-hmm. All right. But I, I'll mention that there are a lot of really cool things you can do with reishi mushrooms, right? So like in Eastern medicine, the Chinese have been using them for forever to treat like hypertension and even in some cases cancer and even diabetes in some situations. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of things like the tinctures that you can make or teas you can make with reishi mushrooms that grow right there on your property. So get in tune with more of the natural remedies. That, That would be another good book to get. There are books that you can get that show more of the traditional, you know, natural remedies that grow right out of the earth and how to prepare them, how to use them, what they're used for. I'm not saying that that's a end all do all. It certainly isn't, but there are situations where, you know, you can use what nature provides. Um, I mean, you got to think when, when they make medicine, for instance, you know, you, you open up a, a little container, doop, open it up and you take a pill, right? Well, what's in that pill? Have you ever thought about that? Right. Medicine has to come from somewhere, right? It's synthesized from various things that occur in nature naturally, right? In many cases. Uh, so I know that that's not a band, a do all end all solution to something as sensitive as an insulin, uh, dependency, but just bear in mind that that's a great question. Mm-hmm. You know, there are medicines that if, if certain people, you know, if they don't have their medicine, it might not end well for them. Yeah. And those are the things I'm like, that's I'm like difficult. wow, man, that's scary. It's difficult. So I just thought about something. <laughs> Would it be feasible to grow wheat? And like, so that way you can like mill like flour out of it to bake like bread and stuff like that on like a homestead property. Cause I've never actually grown wheat. Um, and I've, I, don't usually see it here in Georgia. Yeah. So I'm just trying to figure out like if that is that is that a thing cuz I normally only see cotton, corn, um yeah. like a few other ag but not wheat. I keep about 10 pounds of wheat seed on hand. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, I I really am not as knowledgeable about that type of stuff as I need to be. I'm trying to expand my knowledge and I guess that's a great segue. It's like that. We should always try, try to expand your knowledge base to include as many things as you possibly can. I mean, when it comes to, I mean, obviously, like when you go to the, the, the grocery store and you buy tortilla chips and you think, oh, wow, tortilla chips. I mean, well, you know, they're made from corn. I mean, so yeah. when you think about the raw ingredients, I mean, look at look at the, your favorite foods and then look at the ingredients. And oftentimes you think, wow, like that's it, right? Like, so it's important to kind of understand some of the older ways that things are made, like to understand those processes, like how bread is made. I mean, I know, all right, for instance, um, here at the house, I do keep a lot of like, I keep brewer's yeast, I keep bread yeast and bread materials and brandy can make a starter. You know, we keep a lot of flour on hand. So there are a lot of staple staples that would be very difficult to produce locally, but not impossible to produce locally. Obviously there's certain, um, you know, specialized tools and specialized equipment you might need to process something like wheat down 
or to process something like corn, you know, and I, like I say, take like dry corn and mortar and pestle. I mean, so, so there's all these like more traditional methods of making food that, that don't involve machinery or, or this bulk processing like you see in our modern society. And I guess that is sort of a cornerstone of homesteading as well. And, and one way that you could really dial in on that concept quite well is to look at the Amish. Look at how the Amish live. They churn their own butter. Uh, they make many of their own goods. They make their own, you know, clothing in, in many cases. I mean, many of the things they use, they make. So to have an appreciation for what homesteading really is, it's important to understand that the folks that are very traditional Amish, you know, they have got it down to a science and they're mm-hmm. very good at it. And not only do they survive, they thrive. Absolutely. So and, you know, that, just, that's an important aspiration to live to. I just thought about something. We were talking about those tiny houses. That might be a uh, might be a good segment for us. We should do like we can get a tiny house and then we'll vlog it from beginning, like showing the ins- like put us putting in the insulation, plumbing it, drywalling it. So like, what does it take from start to finish to get yeah, this? We can go over the cost, yes, over the time, the labor, and, and then and, and really dial in exactly in this modern age, like what it takes to have a tiny house. And look, we'll do solar, yeah, have it off the grid, dude. We should totally do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> that's going to be, be a that's, that's lot of fun. Be, yeah, man. I'm. A, I, that's exciting. Yeah. So that I way everybody can get a real into. deal view of like what it takes, not like a you know inflated. This going to cost this. But like this is if we're doing the work ourselves. We're not calling in plumbers. We're not calling in like drywall contractors. We're not calling in like the professionals. Like we're doing it. Like, this is what it's going to take. Yeah. Nice. I agree. I mean, we put in our own septic system. Yeah. We can, you know, put up the solar and do our own like miniature water heater and water filters, filtration, all that. That'd be interesting. Uh, let, let's look at that. Yeah. I, I think we could totally we'll, do we'll it. We'll price it out and see. Yeah, let's price it out <laughs> and see what it's going to run. And maybe that'd be a fun project for us to take on. And we can do maybe a video series and kind of, you know, go exactly. through Exactly. Yep. Um, but in the meantime, there are tons of great YouTubers out there. They're doing such a great job of putting out content on homesteading, tiny houses, um, I'd like to say that, you know, we do cover a lot of the firearms aspect quite a bit. So if you want knowledge about firearms, our channel is a great resource for guns. Um, that's really been our bread and butter over the years. But there are people that are like the homestead version of what we do. So they do more of the just complete dyed-in-the-wool intrinsic, you know, survival of the homestead. So there's so much information out there and so many great resources. There's absolutely no excuse to not have a good understanding of what homesteading is and what simple survival mentality entails. Um, I think that that kind of wraps things. I mean, I know we could really get into many more pillars to this particular issue. And we, we, we might touched later. on some very important ones. Yeah. And I think that that's the important thing is like, I get it. There's we're, we're, we're discussing this guys in the most layman way possible. So mm-hmm. this is like a very high level, like your basic things that you need to get started. Maybe we'll do another episode where we can kind of dive into a little bit more of the minutia of like, what yeah. is ex- like, how do you acquire this? If you're going to have chickens, 
What's the best way to keep them from getting eaten by hawks? What's how much, you know, do you, you obviously need to move stuff around so they're not picking the ground clean? So the, the smaller stuff that you need to get into uh, in order to make it a successful homestead, this is just basically a starting point for you guys to do more research on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, we, we didn't really go into like fuel storage or yes. communications like ham radios or, or, or walkie talkies. So or much anything. more. Into there, it. There's so many little tiny things that you can kind of keep uh, in, in the back of your mind that maybe oftentimes people take certain things for granted like that. They, 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 we have the ability, the luxury of picking up a cell phone and calling somebody, but you know, that, that might not be reality in a really bad situation. So that's right. Just an important thing to think about. And, um, I really appreciate everybody that supports the podcast. Uh, I know we don't have quite the, the humongous viewership uh, that, that some of the other podcasts do, but I really enjoy doing these kind of long form talks. And I hope you guys enjoy spending your Saturday with us here on the channel. Uh, we post these, um, podcasts on YouTube every Saturday. The audio version goes up all over where you can find podcasts anywhere on the internet the Friday before. So if you just can't wait and you want to get your episode in, uh, you can check it out on Friday or wait for Saturday for the video version and watch it here on the channel. See, see um, our, see our faces here yeah. on the YouTubes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you guys want to support the podcast, go over to ballistic Inc and pick yourself up a snazzy new t-shirt. That's one way you can support us. Uh, Matt and Lisa are obviously doing great job on the shirts. I love them. They're edgy. Uh, they're they're definitely liberty minded, so keep that in mind. American and, made, yeah. Pick yourself up a shirt to support the channel. Many more podcasts on the way. We really hope you enjoyed it. We've got so much we want to talk about, so many cool things, and we're going to start doing some awesome guest spots. Uh, I'm going to work on trying to get some of those booked. We are going just some housekeeping real quick. We are going through a little bit of a technological. Uh, tiny little technological evolution. learning curve and evolution in terms of how we're doing this. Uh, we have tried to, you know, set the cameras up a bit different. We've got some different lighting. We're experimenting with that. We've gotten some new equipment uh, that has made our life a little bit easier here for the studio, which, uh, you know, I just want you to know you're a direct part of. So thank you for supporting us and helping us get in this equipment. Uh, but also just some housekeeping. Our internet here is terribly slow. Uh, that would could be honestly a whole nother discussion yes. on the prepping mindset, but Starlink is not going to be available in my area for probably another year at worst. So, you know, our ability to have guests on the podcast might be limited by our really slow internet. I'm talking like not even a meg upload speed. We're super slow. Like our download speeds are like maybe seven megs. We have ridiculously slow snail internet, and I apologize. But we do want to have more guests on the channel, and I do want to do more StreamYard type content with Matt and I, where we entertain certain guests. Um, we're working on that, and I promise as soon as our internet allows, uh, we will do more of those episodes. But we are a little bit limited on technology, so that's why I just wanted to share that. And uh, have yourselves a great week, many more on the way, and we will see you all soon. See you next week. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and Pursuit. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Be sure to leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. You can support us over on Ballistic Inc. by picking yourself up some merch. And remember, guys, dangerous freedom. Have a good one.